everyone. Welcome to HubShot's episode 225. In this episode, we look at three ways we use HubSpot to generate leads. Also talk about active lists and using views to its maximum flexibility. And we've got some recommendations from the HubSpot Academy. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm very well. Uh, good to be here. And yes, just having a blast with active lists in HubSpot, which we'll come to in a second. That's right. Now, our growth thought of the week, Craig, and using HubSpot to generate prospect lists. All right. I thought this was an interesting scenario to go through because if you're an advanced HubSpot user, you'll be familiar with all the criteria on active lists. Yet we are increasingly finding when we're bringing on clients, showing them HubSpot, what we take for granted and think is so simple is quite powerful, powerfully simple. And oh no, what is it? Deeply powerful. Deeply powerful. Uh, deep, deeply simple. I don't know. Anyway, this episode, we want to go through active lists and remind listeners of some of the criteria that you can use to create active lists and prepare prospect lists from that. And we're going to do this in three ways. The first is using behavioral criteria. That's things like how many pages they viewed. The second is flywheel criteria, which are things such as they've already created deals or there's a revenue number associated with them. And then the third is channel criteria and looking at the original source type where they came from. So we'll go through some of those in our upcoming feature shots. Excellent. Now on to our quick shots of the week, Craig. And here are a few things of interest that we have noticed. And this is to do with HubSpot marketing contacts. And this officially launched just after Inbound. And we spoke about this in episode 220. So well worth a look. Yeah, well, it's actually just gone live now. They announced it at Inbound, but 21st of October was when they've officially launched it. So it is live. You can get marketing contacts globally now. And they've got a whole HubSpot Academy training course on it. We covered this a couple of episodes ago, so we won't go through it in this episode, but well worth reviewing. All right, onto our HubSpot marketing feature of the week. And this is how to use behavioral criteria in HubSpot to find prospects. And as we've discussed in our growth thought of the week, here are some of the ways we can do that. Yeah, so I've got a screenshot of an active list criteria from our portal, but I'll just mention some of these behavioral criteria that we often use in lists. So number of sessions. So you could create a list based on the context that a number of sessions is greater than two. That shows a bit of engagement. Or what about number of page views is greater than six? Or what about the number of marketing emails that they've opened being greater than two? Or the number of marketing emails that they've clicked on being greater than one? Or what about if the time of their last session was less than five days ago? These are all common criteria that we use because they allow us to use behavioral criteria of the contact. It's what their behavior has indicated. And this is a great way to surface high intent or engagement in your contact database. And we highlight this to both sales and marketing because salespeople are interested in this. They can jump in and see contacts that have been back to the site or engaged. Marketing is also interested in this because it's about moving them from just a lead to a marketing qualified lead. So that's the first one. The third one we mentioned in our opening was channel criteria, and this is original source type. 
And that could be things like organic, paid search. And one of the screenshots I've put in is other campaigns. Because if you tag uh, some of your campaigns, I'll give you an example. If you put special UTM parameters in a link that's in a PDF, and that PDF made its way out into the market, and then people clicked that link and came to your site and signed up, that's a great way to track and then see a certain type of intent. So that's the marketing side. On the sales side, where do we go from here, Ian? And this is how to use the flywheel criteria in HubSpot to find cross-sell prospects. By the way, do you like that name, flywheel criteria? I know, Craig. I was thinking, what did I not know when I first saw this? (laughs) We're just going to make up terms, flywheel criteria. And basically, it's anything that leads someone further or deeper into the flywheel. So upsell, cross-sell be good examples. That's right. And about reducing that friction, Craig. So here's how we do it. And we will do it in an active list based on associated deals or with a contact. So you would say an associate deal in a contact is greater than one. And they have at least one deal in the stages, closed one, etc. So this is a really good way. So we have done this with a customer of ours where we generate call lists based off this exact criteria plus a behavioral criteria like they have visited the site in the last three days and looked at X number of pages. It's a great way to to actually create that call list for sales on a daily basis. Another scenario I've seen this is let's invite all our high value clients to a special Mm -hmm. webinar, a VIP webinar or event. How do we find those people? Well, One other way you can do it is what was their revenue, total revenue of these clients, because that gets tracked on contacts and companies based on deals. And yeah, how many have closed at least one or two deals? They're the high value. So that's another way to surface high intent contacts. All right, listeners, on to our HubSpot Academy training of the week. And this is very aptly in line with this episode is how to manage your contacts in HubSpot CRM and Marketing Hub. And there are three punchy courses in the academy. First one is getting started with HubSpot CRM, managing your contacts within HubSpot CRM, and lead management within HubSpot CRM. So we encourage you to have a look at that. All right, on to HubSpot Gotcha of the Week. Craig, I don't know where this borders on gotcha, but when using HubSpot quotes and adding a product in at the point when you're creating the quote, it does not save it to the product library. And I learned this the hard way when I was adding it in and I thought, okay, well, I'm in this quote, I had a onboarding product. So it was a one-off line item. And then I was saying, I wanted to add an ongoing component to it. So a monthly retainer essentially. And then I thought, okay, well, they don't have to be in the same, but I wanted to then separate it out because they might just choose the onboarding, but might not choose anything ongoing being a sales service. So I, I added it, I deleted it. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to add it to the next, my next uh, quote that I'm creating. And I, then I couldn't find it in the product. And listeners, this might not surprise you, but it surprised me because if you, like Craig has mentioned to me, you could be adding multiple line items and you could your product library could end up growing to a massive, that could become a very big bucket. So you don't want that to happen. So that's why it's there, but just caught me out. So I thought you might might catch you out. So that's why I've highlighted it. So what's the takeaway? I guess the, the action item for this is go and build your product library first if you're going to use an item in multiple quotes. Yes. Create it as a product in your product library first and then use it in your quotes. Perfect. 
All right. And a listener tip of the week. And this is thank you to Andrea from Canada. Hi, Andrea. She runs an agency called Horseshoe & Co. And talking about sales properties. And if you're not aware, there are actually two properties within a contact, which is number of sales activities and last activity date. And Andrea said, you'd think they'd be uh, related, but they're not. The number of sales activities driven by a HubSpot user, as in how many emails they've sent, notes they've logged, meetings they've logged, but last sales activity date is driven by the user. So if they haven't replied to an email or booked a meeting, that property will show up blank. So I think that's a really good reminder to us of these two properties and I came across something similar because what I was trying to do was create a follow-up call list based on sales activity and the last sales activity date. And so, as we discussed before, Craig, I did this looking at these properties and then created an active list, which then got fed into a view for the people in sales to have a look at. I agree. This is confusing. So, we're basically saying that last sales activity date means the date that the contact last did something. So the contact is not at all related to what we've done. That's right. That's your actual number of sales activities. So that is confusing. And wow, what a screen, in your screenshot, you've got this example that you've got in the screenshot, number of sales activities, 750. What have you been doing? Craig, that's your contact. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this person? They must be sick of <laughs> so it's not just all the emails you sent me. I'm prospecting, but he's not buying anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Anyway, just wanted to highlight that. And it's worth listening sometimes. One of the things we do is periodically when we're looking to see and find out why things are getting done, we look at all the properties within a contact and we search to see how things are being updated. You can do that from the property history. So it's well worth you doing a little bit of digging to find this out because you might be surprised what you'll find out. All right, onto our HubSpot tip of the week, Craig, and this is using active lists with views. Yes, so earlier we talked about how you can have those different sets of criteria, behavioral criteria to create active lists. Active lists are so powerful and we'll keep reminding you of this, just active lists, that's the power in HubSpot to create those active lists. But the thing about lists is when you create them, they take a few seconds or even a minute or two sometimes to populate because um, they continually work in the background. But if you're using them and changing them, you've got to wait for it to recalculate it all. So what we tend to do, and I know you do this as well, Ian, is we create a set of active lists, but then we combine them for use within views. So when you've got your list of lists, I know that sounds a bit confusing, and I've got a screenshot here, you've got your list, and then the, there's a column for the size. So the size of that list, that active list, let's say, you can click that and then it takes you through to a filter in say contacts, for example, contact filter, and then you can still do additional filtering on that. And that when you apply filters into your contacts view, that is actually instant. So the tip here is to create your set of active lists, but then combine them with use in views to basically slice and dice them on the fly. And listeners, we would often even create a view for somebody in sales, for example, and we would select that list as the view and then they can slice and dice it within the view as they need to within contacts. 
All right, Craig, onto our HubSpot Stumper of the Week. Okay, here's my Stumper, and I'm putting a challenger out to listeners if you can answer this. As powerful as lists are and all that filtering and criteria, I can't work out how to do the following. I want to get a list of contacts who have come back to the site via paid advertising after originally coming via Google Organic. All right, so their original source type is Google Organic, but then they came back with paid advertising. How can I create a list to do that? It's almost like their subsequent actions to come back. So if you've got an answer for that, let us know. I'd love to know. We should contact HubSpot support. If anyone from HubSpot support is listening, please feel free to reach out to us. You know what? I'll get on. I'll, I'll find Rebecca from last week and I'll just, I should probably solve it in two minutes. But there you go, Stumper of the Week. That's right. Okay, we've got a great resource of the week that you've discovered, Craig, called Descript. Descript, it's a video and editing tool. Check this out, folks. Trust me, check it out. It's uh, got some great features such as you import an audio file, it transcribes it on the fly, and then you can just remove filler words. It stitches the audio back together, removing all the filler words like um, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Check it out. All right, listeners, and I quote of the week, it says... Learn from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them yourself. And that's from Eleanor Roosevelt. Time is ticking. That's right. That's right. All right. We've got some marketing links of the week, Craig, and this is about preparing for Google Analytics 4. Tell me more. Well, we touched on this last week. Google Analytics 4 is the upgrade to Google Analytics that is rolling out and is the default for new accounts. It adds a whole bunch of new features and some machine learning insights that it brings. But if you're not yet on Google Analytics 4, you're still on Google Analytics 3 in a sense in your property. There's good reasons to be getting ready for 4 and adding a new property to do that. So we've got some links there and we're doing a Google Analytics for assessment. Tara and our team will look at that for you. So we've got a link there if you'd like us to look at your Google Analytics, get it optimized, get you ready for version four. This is going to be big, Google Analytics 4. Remember we went from Google Classic back in the day to Google uh, Universal Analytics? Yes. such a big change. Google Analytics 4, GA4 is another one of those moments. And Microsoft Site Explorer, Craig, and this is for viewing your Microsoft Bing, how Microsoft Bing sees your site. Yeah, part of Bing Webmaster Tools, which is, I guess, uh, similar to Google Search Console Tools and just should be a part of every marketer's toolkit. And we're talking about Pinterest SEO testing, Craig. Yeah, good article on Medium about how they approach testing. In that case, they wanted to test interlinking on their site. Pinterest, massive site, so good insight into how a big company approaches SEO very methodically and in a very well-planned way. They have an, an assumption or a hypothesis and they test and they create control groups. It's scientific, really interesting article. And another one is, what is dwell time and why does it matter? Do you know what dwell time is, Ian? No, tell me, Craig. Do you know what bounce rate is? Yes. Do you know what average time on, on page is? Yes. Yeah. So dwell time is kind of like average time on page, but from the search engine's perspective. So you're in Google search results, you click through to a site or a result, and then you come back to Google. So you start and come back to Google. That's the dwell time, how long you were on that site. And why it matters is because if you spend a lot of time there, then that's a good indication that the site's good. But if you hockey stick or bounce back quickly then that's a negative sign in some ways. So a good article there from SEM Rush talking about it and how it compares. And of course, the way it compares with and why it's useful, say compared to bounce rate, 
bounce rate will show, okay, they might have come to your site, not gone any further, they bounce back, but it doesn't tell you how long they stayed. Mm. So theoretically, someone might bounce, but if they came and they spent 10 minutes reading that article on your page and then they bounced back, that's a very high dwell time. It actually shows high intent. Yes. Whereas if it was they only spent a second or two and bounced, it would be low intent. So bounce rate on its own can be misleading. Dwell time can be much more illuminating. Finally, a fun fact, Craig. How Google detects 25 billion spammy pages per day. Can you believe that? The amount of crap content out there, billion with a B, every day. So I got that from Murray Hayes' notes on the Google's search on event. And I've got a link to the event if you want to go and have a look at it as well. Craig, you know what? That does not surprise me one bit. <laughs> These content mills just churning out so much junk content every day. Yeah. Imagine the resources to find 25 billion a day and basically ignore them. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. Please follow us on our YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. We would love to hear from you. Please also connect with Craig and myself on LinkedIn and please send us a message. We would love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. We always get excited when we hear from somebody, don't we, Craig? We do. And I'm interested if people found this episode better because we concentrated just on HubSpot items rather than more general marketing items, which we've been doing the last couple of weeks. Interested in your feedback. Would you prefer us to be more encompassing and broader covering HubSpot and marketing? Or would you want us to just be really focused on HubSpot stuff? Let us know, uh, reply, send us a note on the channels and we'd really appreciate it. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.